Welcome to The Problem, a Lockwood & Co. podcast. I'm Caitlin. I'm Alan. I feel like I said welcome to The Problem with a different inflection for like the very first time ever, but it was just because I'm swallowing a cookie. (laughs) Oh, you. Welcome to The Problem. God, you're here. Okay. It's a Lockwood & Co. podcast, I guess. (laughs) No, it's look, it's Christmas Eve Eve and... (laughs) My uh, diet currently consists of 90% chocolate, and I needed a snack for podcasting because it it just makes me feel like I'm finally, finally on vacation. I think I told myself, like, these are three different things as I ate three different kinds of M&Ms. Yep. Right before this started. That sounds about right. So, yeah. My advice to all of the youngerish people who listen to our podcast out there is if you ever want to have like downtime at work around Christmas, don't don't get into finance. There's no <laughs> there's never downtime. You always have to deal with the money every single day. A good portion of my company thinks that my department are just like grumpy grinches because we don't participate in any of the like fun stuff happening, but we don't have a choice. We're busy every single day. It doesn't matter. It's just the end of the month. Why don't you come to the party? What's the big deal? (laughs) Christmas (laughs) and New Year's being at month end is ridiculous. And year end, obviously. (laughs) But like, Jesus, don't don't do it. Also, you have to work with numbers all day. I hate numbers, which I told my supervisor that one time. She gave me such a look. It was like, why did you take this job then? (laughs) Like, What are you doing with your life, Caitlin? (laughs) The obvious answer was to get out of customer service. (laughs) Like, obviously. (laughs) <laughs> the only thing worse than numbers is people. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But um, sometimes you can't say the true answer. <laughs> Anyways, that was our chit-chat. Yay. We're people too. Today we are starting part three. The missing mirror. Um, And we're going to start off with chapter nine, in which Lieutenant Barnes assigns Lockwood and Co. and the Kipps Fitz team. Oh, I don't like that. Kipps Fitz. Ugh. To work together and find the stolen mirror. Just weird inflections all over the place on my end today. You know, it's Christmas. Everything's wild. I think I wrote it Kips's team first, and I was like, I don't like that. And then I was like, Kips fits, and I was like, there's no good way to say this. How does how does Stroud do it? I don't know what to well, do. Well, he doesn't have to speak it out loud. Yeah. All right, so chapter nine, the art is... What I thought at first was crime scene photos, but it's actually the photo of that previous crime scene that that Barnes shows them to freak them out. The dead people right. in the church, in the pews or whatever it is. Is right. it a church? Whatever. In the benches. Yeah. Where it's like they were exposed to some artifact and that it killed everyone. Yeah, and he's The beginning like, of the relic men. Yeah. He's like, this stuff is serious. You guys don't know. Like, we deal with things. You're just a bunch of kids, dummies. Now go solve all the problems for me. Uh, That's what he uses the photos for. I feel like there's a lot of that in this chapter of people, like, getting down on kids. Yeah. And and yet. Anyway, so they're called in to go visit Barnes at Deeprack, everyone's favorite uh, Scotland Yard department. It's a little bit different than in the previous book, Barnes kept coming around their house. And now he's like, you come to me. It makes sense when they show up because of the Fitz team being there. So he's like creating a meeting. Mm-hmm. I think it's better, though, that, to like be in the center of his own power. 
It does seem more like he's forcing them to do things, which seems more like what Barnes would want, if that makes any sense. I do want to just point out that when pointing out what they were all, how they were all reacting to the late night phone calls, Lucy did say that she gets grumpy when she's tired. And I just wrote down, me too, Luce. Me too. Right. We should read this out. This is one of the most highlighted things in the Kindle edition. I always try to point that out. It says, our ordinary... Okay, so it talks about like at 8 a.m. they get a phone call and they're like, what the fuck? It's time for people to be sleeping at 8 a.m. Because they're agents. And it says, our ordinary response in such circumstances would be to either A, ignore it, Lockwood, B, ask them politely to ring back, George, or C, send them away with a shrill torrent of abuse. Me, I get grumpy when I'm tired. It's very cute. I like that Lockwood is just like, I'm just not answering that. Yeah. He just uh, like <laughs> turns the As much as off. I do identify with Lucy's grumpiness, I would be the Lockwood <laughs> in this situation. Hilariously, actually, because we live in an apartment now, we have like a a house phone because we need a call thing from the you know when people buzz to get in oh right yeah and i guess they've got extended hours so um amazon called us at 5 a.m yesterday to get into the building wow we we obviously missed it because it was 5 (laughs) a.m what the fuck yeah that's a crazy time to be delivering I've I've done delivery work for like six years. I've never, I've never done that. Yeah, no, I don't even, I have no idea. I remember lying in bed and thinking this is such a 90s problem. A phone <laughs> call in the middle of the night. <laughs> Why is this happening to us? But it does, it happens to, it happens to Lucy. And yeah, they but, can't say no because it's, it's the police. And so they have to get up with no breakfast and get a taxi. It also occurred to me that because they're all under age, I don't know about driving ages in England, that they they have no choice but to take taxis because they can't drive. I actually also don't know driving ages in England, but I think Lockwood is 16-ish, right? He's older. So, yeah, I don't know. So if it's the same, maybe? I, I, I would think he wouldn't have a car because... Money he couldn't be registered to him, and then mm. he so he'd have to get rid of it. I don't know. I know nothing. I don't drive, so my yeah. knowledge of how all that works is minimal, even in my own country. I did think about this though, because I was like, well, London. So I don't know anything about England. I've never been there, but it, to me, London has like good public transportation. But then I was like, would that be true during the problem? Is that mm. like something that's broken down? And now it's like, if you have your own car, you're good. And otherwise you got to take taxis. And the government's like, we're not going to be providing public transportation because we don't want to be responsible for incidents of like people dying from ghosts. In a later book, they definitely have to walk through like a old closed down tube station. But I don't mm. remember any talk about an active uh, like an active line of the tube. Yeah, they never go on. Like they took a train to get out of London. Yeah, but that could be like a private train company. You know what I mean? Like, or just have- that that the the train the trains never quite that the tube just never happened. Yeah, I feel like yeah. we see buses also, but maybe I'm making okay. that up. 
Yeah, I don't know. Uh, there were buses in the show because like, what are they going to do? Like they're filming on location. Yeah. But yeah, I just don't, I don't have any sense of there being a public transportation because most of the time the kids are out at night. And so obviously that stuff wouldn't run at night anyway. But yeah, they have to get into a cab to go to Scotland Yard. And <laughs> I think this is one of the only times where Lucy describes Lockwood as being any kind of ugly. She says uh, Lockwood was way-faced and monosyllabic. Um, I like what she says about George. Is it here with <laughs> well, the, the bags under his eyes being like hammocks? <laughs> for field mice. Yeah, yeah that's cute. <laughs> but yeah, they so they get there eventually. There's one point where she's thinking about the skull's warnings and all of that sort of thing. And Lucy's kind of trying to put it out of her mind and think that, you know, he's obviously just trying to get to her the way that George was saying. Mm -hmm. And then she kind of says, as a listener, I had to beware. And I just, yeah. I like, she's kind of pumping herself up there, you know? I did the, yeah. And this is where my note was that to me, this like called back to, to um, book one where it, you know, like right away when we were encountering Annabelle Ward for the first time, Lockwood is like, don't let it feed off your anger. Don't let it like there's always this internal kind of struggle. And as an agent, you have to like control your disposition so that you're not vulnerable to the ghost's influence. And it seems like that's that's like what she is calling back to. It feels like here to me. She's like, oh, yeah, it did make us all argue with each other. Like, mm -hmm. got to be more wary. Um, and then she has a thought about how, you know, no one else in London can do what she can do. And perhaps no one since Marissa Fitz. And then she thinks, was it the skull that was unique or was it me? Which must be a weird thing for Lucy, because we see throughout the story that Lucy in her self-esteem and self-confidence is not the best, which is mm -hmm. normal for a teenage girl. So I'm not like. You know what I mean? Mm hmm So it, it must be weird to think, to try to wrap your head around, maybe I am this powerful, unique thing, while simultaneously being really down on yourself. Yeah, it's growing up. But to actually be like, yeah, this would be like if you were like, oh, maybe I'm like Einstein. But like, no, that can't be right. Or so, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> she's super famous. She like changed the way the world works. And Marissa Fitz did. And for her to be like, maybe I'm like that. It's like, it is a really big thing to try and handle in your mind. Yeah. But we know since we're reading a book that she probably is. So we're like, it's okay, Lucy, you're the best. I also know how it all ends. Right. Yeah. Lu why didn't Lucy read the book? Exactly. Um, right. <laughs> so the, I have a weird note here of because... um. They write down the department, like they tell us what DPRAC stands for, the Department of Psychic Research and Control. And I feel like, was it just in the show that they always said psychical? Because that was a thing, right? I, I'm not making that up in my head. Oh, no. They, and they say it in the books, too. I don't do. remember if psychical is what the P stands for in the show, but but they definitely uh, do say psychical all the time. I just always notice that because it's so weird. Yeah. I've always taken it as a British thing I, do, I don't think it is i think it's just weird it's just a lockwood and co thing yeah yeah um and then lucy's giving sort of an introduction to who barnes is in case you missed the first book i guess which um <laughs> has this bit where she says although he had complimented me on the pretty tulips i'd put in the boxes outside the windows this past spring and i just cannot imagine this conversation <laughs> <laughs> 
like in my head, Barnes is like walking up their front path and Lucy is hanging out the window <laughs> doing something with these flower boxes because they're boxes on the window, even though it doesn't actually say that, does it? Oh yeah, outside the windows. Okay, cool. And I don't know, she's got a spade and is digging in the dirt. I <laughs> And then he's just like, oh, those are nice tulips. Like, what are you doing, Barnes? What are you doing? <laughs> I feel like it would have been much more like he, <laughs> after he comes in, he's like, oh, I noticed some tulips out there. Did you, Cubbins, did you finally discover vegetables? And and then <laughs> Lucy be like, eat tulips. I know, but it, it just sounds like the kind of mean thing that he would say. And right. then Lucy would be like, no, I planted those. And he's like, well, they're not the worst thing I've seen today. And then she was like, what a compliment. Like, that's how this went in my mind. So <laughs> I, uh, any either of those iterations can't imagine it. <laughs> yeah, he's not very complimenting or supportive of our kids. No. Um, but then Lucy goes on to explain the times that they have been called in for him. Make them feel like, um, oh, naughty school children. Yes, naughty school children. And I'm like, that's kind of what you are. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, what are you talking about? Because you're bad at following the rules, maybe? There is, like, slightly interesting stuff to me about, like, the world building of DPRAC, how it's, like, really quiet in the morning. So it's kind of interesting that Barnes is still awake, because I would imagine that he works on the same shift as the children. But there's stuff like, oh, they're sweeping up all the iron filings and salt that gets tramped in. And like, there's just nobody there and the switchboard is not lit up and things like that. I was like, oh, I appreciate there's just lots of world building in those in these three chapters that I'm going to mm -hmm. keep saying over and over is like really well thought out on like the big scale for Stroud. Like he takes those ideas that are important to the like story level characters and like really thinks about the implications of them, you know, on a bigger level than a lot of other authors do, I think. And there's just like the feeling of DPRAC here is like, yeah, it would be like this. That's what it feels like to me. It feels real. But none of it like contributes to like the actual important story beat that happens here, which is that they walk into a room and the Kips agents, the, the Kips agents, the Fitz agents are in there, Kips team. And they're like, Lockwood's like, oh, didn't want to interrupt you're importing meeting with these assholes. I mean, these uh, associates. So, uh, and he's like, no, no, we're all a team here. I do love George's. If I leap on the table and start shrieking, don't try to stop me. Just let me howl. <laughs> That's the best thing. That's George's best line in this whole book. Just let me howl. And then almost immediately after that, he's like, if you're firing them, I know of two vacancies. Toilet attendants needed at Marlebone Station could wear those same jackets and all. <laughs> yeah, George is not like Lucy thinks all these things in her head. George says them. He says yep. them to people. Yep. Yeah, like Lucy later on has some really great things to think about Barnes's mustache that is just cutting, but she does keep it to herself. Mm hmm. Barnes gives it back to to uh, George. Oh, yeah, as much absolutely. As he always does. Yeah, he's always real mean to George. I mean, everybody's mean to George, but like, I don't know. It seems extra petty coming from Barnes. Because he is allegedly an adult. Right. Yeah. But the important thing here is he, he says that, you know, like everybody's here at his request and he needs more than one set of agents on the case and he yes. has to debrief them. 
Lucy does try to ask about the kid that was hurt, but Barnes is just like, we'll talk about that later. And it's like, okay. Um, but after that, when they're going through everything that happened the night before, he does genuinely compliment Lucy and says, you have impressive talent, Carlisle. And mm -hmm. I just, I like that Fitz and Fitz, Jesus, that Kips and Kat were in the room for that because <sighs> currently I do hate them. <laughs> I like that he takes her word for it because yes. like she's saying like the the whole thing about I'll give you your heart's desire and no one else heard that. And he's like, wow, it's impressive that you heard that, which means that he has to believe her because there's no other confirmation. Uh, so. Yeah, I noticed that too. It's that's pretty cool. He did believe her about the things that she heard from what's her face in the previous book, War uh, Annabelle Ward. Right. Yeah. Almost that's like true. believed her a little too much. Yeah, I mean, this is a step up from calling her in to be terrified by a murder suspect. So. So then they go over uh sort of exactly what happened and what time the mirror was stolen and Really just set the scene and establish suspects and that sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, so the kids didn't know, Lockwood and Co. didn't know about the robbery of the, uh, this tells us that the mirror has been stolen. And and so, like, we have to learn all that information here. I mean, basically. we knew it had been stolen at the end of the last chapter. We just didn't know all the particulars. So we get all the right. particulars here. Yeah. And I do hate... <sighs> Well, the one Barnes says that dawn came at 4.13 this morning. Yeah. Uh, that is terrible. That is too early for the sun to be up. I'm sorry. <laughs> I hate summer. It's the worst. Maybe I'll hate it less now that my bedroom window doesn't face east. Oh, there <laughs> which, you yeah. Which sucks. Which sucks. I, I do not recommend that. If you live anywhere that's kind of north, meaning that the sun comes up at a ridiculous hour during the summer. There's uh. You were saying this about the show during these like sets of episodes that like this is kind of an important aspect to this case, how much daylight there is. And he just he talks about it a little bit in this section, too, I think. Yeah. That we're like around midsummer and, and things like that. So like how early the sun comes up and how late the sun stays out every day is like a part of the plot. But then like we were trying to figure out the time jump, I think in the episode where this stuff happens and we were like, why is it dark all of a sudden? But like, it feels like the show had this taking place at a totally different time. Yeah. It didn't feel like the height of summer in mm -hmm. the TV show. Not that it matters too much, it, but like it doesn't, but we, we just, we dithered on that a lot. He does. Like, I appreciate though that he locates it in a particular time of the year and that he takes his world building seriously around it when he's like discussing it. We'll get to that more later because I, I have notes about it. But like, I just like all the little details about that kind of stuff in here. So like he is noting like the sun came up really early and it's a part of the robbery here because the people who took the mirror did it at a time when they like the, the reason to note the time is because the sun was starting to come up. So they felt safe to handle the artifact at that time. Which is ridiculous, because if you know anything about Dawn, it's still pretty dark. Mm -hmm. Like, for, like I get that 413 is early, but like the sun peaking above the horizon, which is classified as Dawn, is it's not going to be no ghost time for a little bit after that. Especially strong ghosts. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like maybe one of them doesn't make it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um... 
I have I have a note here, but it, it means absolutely nothing to me. Yeah. The, um, George has a really good cutting thing, I guess. Maybe. Is it where George oh, where says... It? Don't look at that face, Cat. Yeah. <laughs> I'm used to such things. Yeah, so you work with Kips. He's talking to Cat. <laughs> And, yeah. and he's like, don't look at the picture of the dead body. And she's like, she takes it as like, don't condescend to me, George yeah. Cubbins. I work with the dead often. And he's like, oh, yes, you see scary faces all the time. You see, <laughs> you see Kips uh, is pretty good. George is on fire in early in yeah, the morning. He, he has like no filter. And he flips so quickly because he says that. Oh, no, it's Kips who says, never mind. Never mind. I take that back. <laughs> Kips flips into Kips is ignoring them, I guess. So he just asks good questions. Yeah, I thought it was George. I do like that Lucy uh, stares back at Kat at one point expressionless because she can do the stony face look too. And this is the kind of like dislike and rivalry that I do, I think is good writing because mm-hmm. it's more on personalities and stuff and not just Lucy hates women for being women. Mm-hmm. This is more like eh, cat's part of them. Mm-hmm-hmm. I can be just as stony faced as her. I don't know that that I get. Yeah, I agree. I think the the whole meeting is really good for like everybody's opposite personalities and we're rivals. And I feel like Barnes is a little bit clueless through the whole thing too. He's like, I'm bringing everyone together successfully, and like laying out what's important, <laughs> and they are on board, and they're all like. I hate you. And they're like, I hate you more. There is a part of me that thinks he's doing this on purpose to force them to work out their differences. But I also just do not think Barnes would give a shit. No. You know, so no, he must just he must just be fooling himself to thinking like, yeah, this is going to be great. They work together so good. Look at them having a fun time making fun of each other in a fun way. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know? Yeah. He doesn't understand how much of a failure this already is. I that feels more like Barnes to me because Barnes is not competent, and so like, of course he's yeah. doing this all wrong. Yeah. the The other thing that comes out in this whole discussion too that's an important point is the recognition that there are multiple sources involved in the case. Yes. So that was not totally clear at this point in the story, but like they kind of figure out that that must be what's happening. That the mirror or artifact or whatever is a source unto itself and that Bickerstaff is a separate source, his yeah. body. And also we see that Lockwood has a moment straight out of the end of book one where he's like noticing something but not saying anything. Oh, right. He see, yeah, he's looking at the picture. There's something more going on there. Mm-hmm. And then it's basically just like a bunch of digs. Oh, and then uh, what's his face? Uh, Barnes shows them that picture from his previous case where he's just trying to demonstrate how deadly relics can be to, well, to them, but mostly to the audience so that we know what the stakes are. And this does call back to, you were wondering last time if the ghost cults come back and this is like a callback to that. Yeah. Because this was a ghost cult that, so it's not exactly in a church, but it's like, you know, some kind of thing like that. Yeah. They're trying to communicate with the other side and everything's going to be peachy and then they all die. And then at one point, Barnes says that he can show them dozens of other instances, you know, pictures of other things happening like this. And he says, I dare say it would put you off your breakfast. And I'm like, yes, because these kids have never seen anything scary. (laughs) (laughs) Right. 
and breakfast is at like five in the afternoon anyway. So like, what are you even talking about? Um, but then he says they're going to hire Lockwood and co to investigate. And George is like, what? <laughs> Why are you hiring us? Just how desperate can you be? Which is both like burn on barns and a self burn. So I enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is also like before, like you said, they, they knew that the mirror was gone or whatever, but Lockwood's like, it, who cares? It has nothing to do with us. We got paid. Yeah. Like it's over. And now they're getting dragged back in and all these details matter. And they're getting hired by DPRAC, which is probably not the customer that they want to have, but that they have no choice but to have. Like, what do you do? You'd be like, no, we're not interested. Like, I feel like that's not an option here. Yeah, no, it does not feel like Barnes is giving them an option. Although he does say, and if you want to keep my good opinion, <laughs> you'll all work well together because he's hiring like, the what? Kisses team what also. Good and it's like, I, I don't, and also I don't think they care at all about your good opinion, Barnes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember the shit they said and did to you in book one. I don't think they care. No, no, they don't have a good working relationship with Barnes, which is mostly his fault. I would say he, he says something here. That's a little bit weird world building wise. And I was like, what does this mean exactly? He says, powerful artifacts are deadly in the wrong hands. They're like bombs waiting to go off this mirror or whatever it might be is no exception. Deeprac is highly concerned and we want it found. So like, I was trying to like, are artifacts different than ghosts? Like, like looking into this thing affected George and like, you can see a ghost and be like scared and it can have like a psychic effect on you through malaise or ghost lock. But, um, but it doesn't seem, it seems like this is like it, artifacts are different than ghosts at, in some categorical way that I'm just not, I'm, it's fuzzy to me. How I interpret it is that um, relic people and the people and their customers, they want sources, also called relics, that can release ghosts, but they keep them safe. They keep them locked up. But because they're not destroying them or keeping them or like having professional state set standards to keeping them safe, things go wrong all the time. Oh, yeah, I get that, that it's it's really dangerous. But I guess I guess what I'm saying is like this doesn't seem like a source. Because like it can it can have an effect on you at a distance that's different than like a ghost pops out of it. Like if right. you put the mirror behind silver glass and looked at it, I feel like it would still mess you up, I guess is what I'm saying. I think maybe Stroud downplays this here because they do seem to be going after it because it might be a source and not because it seems to be something completely singular that was made before the problem started. Yeah. Right. So it is, maybe Barnes just doesn't understand. Like, did they tell Barnes what happened to George? I don't know. I don't think so. No. But he, you know, like he shows them the thing, like all these people died because of this artifact. And so I'm just trying to understand the taxonomy, I guess. Oh, but that... Is artifact a different category than source? I don't think so. Okay. Because in that one, it could have just released one ghost that killed them all. Yeah. Yeah. But they were all... They all seemed to be into it, so they didn't, like, run, right? They wanted to see a ghost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're like, oh, this is the moment where we talk to the other side, and the ghost is like, oh, 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 Yeah, exactly. And they ate them all, yeah. Like Cookie Monster. (laughs) Like, (laughs) delicious. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then George, uh, at the end of the chapter, George gets in a dig on Bobby Vernon, which is great. 
um, <laughs> even though he's not there. And I appreciate that a lot, George. You just couldn't, you had one last one and you couldn't let it go. <laughs> oh, and they, more importantly to the plot, I guess Lockwood and Kips are like, so this is it. This is our contest. And they're like, yep, we're all in. We're all in. Good. Let's go. You investigate. We'll investigate. Keep out of each other's way. Yeah. Because like, again, Barnes is like collaboration and then they are immediately like competition. Yeah. Uh, so this is, you know, this is not uh, helpful. I don't know if they're, I guess they're just like, don't trust Kip's. The rivalry is too big here. Like, this is like a serious problem. Like Barnes is laying out to them, like lots of people could die. And they're like back on their childish bullshit to some extent. Well, but like, honestly, them, can you trust Kips to do this? So like, I don't know. I can't fault him. I do also think the difference between Barnes and them is like their whole lives have been, yeah, lots of people could die. You yeah, know, like true. Lucy's already seen lots of people die. George and Locke would have seen their fair share also. This is just another week for them. Yeah. I think this also does another thing that happens a bunch of times in these chapters where Stroud is taking tropes from crime fiction and like giving them this kind of layer of like kid culture to them i really like mm -hmm. every time he does this and there's a lot of like in law enforcement there's a lot of even in a police department a lot of like inter like section rivalry stuff so like it'll be like the swat team hates the vice guys who hate the you know detectives who hate you know what i mean like the street yeah. cops are all garbage and blah, 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 blah. So like they all do the same thing. It's just like, oh, we happen to be from different agencies and therefore we hate each other, won't work together. And like it's worse for the public. Like they're like their job is to keep everybody safe. And they're like, nah, my job is to make this guy look like garbage because he's garbage. It's almost like maybe all cops are garbage. That could be the, yeah, new, exactly. the new slogan. <laughs> <laughs> A cag. A cag. Doesn't All quite have the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like that better, honestly. Chapter ten. Chapter ten. Where... You get to read the summary. <clears throat> In if once I pull it up. In chapter ten, Lockwood and Co. investigate the crime scene and find how the thief escaped, and a fresh corpse. Fun, fun, fun. The chapter with this time. It was really hard for me to decipher at first because when you look at it just slightly off angle, it doesn't look at all like what it is, uh, but it is the shoes and the feet of a dead person. I assume it's meant to be the one they discover mm -hmm. because there's grass, but they do yeah. also just hang out with a dead body a lot in this chapter, which is wild to me, but. <laughs> yeah, this is the guy who's not Carver. That's really the only way I remember him. Yeah. Anyways, that afternoon, our intrepid heroes get to the graveyard that they just spent most of the night at because they had to stop at home to get supplies and now they're upset because they're all behind the the kips oh my god you writing this kips fits thing is really messing me up i know it's <laughs> there's no good way to talk about it um because they're behind on kips i love how much of the beginning of this chapter or this chapter in general is the complete opposite of what happened in the show like they get there late and they're already like, we know where we're late. We got to do something to catch up while in the show. And we talked about how stupid this was. Lockwood was like, we're going to get there before them and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. He's fooling and then, himself. And like George is excited to go to the archives and get into it. And right. 
Yeah, which is opposite of the way it was in the show. And and, and Lockwood is the one who's like, no, you got to come see the scene first. Yeah, I think that the show, I think that's a good choice on the show's part vis-a-vis George because oh like, yeah 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 it drove the the him as the odd man out yes that was a good yeah it just and it shows that he's like weird like he's being not George and stuff like that yeah. yeah it's funny too because here Lockwood is like I know what Kips will do he'll divide his forces and that will be his weakness and so what we should do is divide our forces George go to the archives <laughs> <laughs> So I was like, wait a minute. To be fair, he does not say weakness. He just says, this is what Kips is going to do, so we're going to do the same thing. Oh, maybe I interpreted it wrong. It does seem dumb. Yeah. He does make fun of George early on here. I noted that. Oh, yeah. uh, Yes, you go. We have to ignore the Kips team, come what may. Don't rise to any provocation or give them any, especially you, George. And he's like, why especially me? Is you only have to look at people sometimes to arouse their savage rage. And it's like, Lockwood, don't pick on your people. What are you doing? Everyone is really on in the giving each other shit thing this yeah. this particular day in the book. In the story. You need a nap. Yeah. That actually, maybe they're all grumpy when they're tired, but Lucy just thinks it's her. Yeah. Do you get, <clears throat> do you get the sense that Fitz is using their resources in this case? Or is it just Kips on his own? Um, I don't know. We don't really talk about the Fitz resources in the books as much as the show did. Well, like in the first case, you know, where at the Wimbledon Wraiths, there was like a zillion agents, it felt like, combing the whole graveyard. Mm, I see what you're saying. But then here, it just feels like his little team. Yeah, it just keeps his little team. Yeah. I presume that was a one-off because they knew it was going to be a big case. And they, yeah. and like the Kips team didn't know where the stone was or how difficult it was going to be to find. But generally speaking, they do have more than one case going on at a time. So they can't have all the teams doing one thing, which makes sense. Um, Lockwood does bring up that he thought he saw something in the coffin, in the the, uh, Barnes's picture of the coffin, which was a bundle of sticks. Mm -hmm. Although I think he comes out with the bundle of sticks things later. He's here. He's just asking if anybody else noticed it. Right. Yeah. So this is like a little minor clue. That like something is weird. Yeah. And that it's probably like a detail. This is like a little bit of an edge on Lockwood's part. It's a detail no one else picked up on, including Kips. And also like, I don't know, I guess it helps them figure out where George is at the end. But it just seems kind of an unnecessary clue by the time he puts it together. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like there. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm misremembering it. No, no. I yeah, I made the same kind of note. It feels like the kind of thing when you're rereading the book. To be like, aha, I see how he got there eventually. It's like there so you can like put the pieces together later. I think that's definitely what it is. It's hard to know, though. I was going to make claims about Stroud's writing process, but I have no idea. That's true. I guess maybe he planned to do more with it at one point, but then he just used it as like a, and this is why it must be Joplin at the end. Yeah, I I just don't know. Spoilers. Sorry. It's Joplin. (laughs) Um, So then... We get introduced to Ned Shaw, one of Kips's enforcers, which is what? Why is why does Kips have an enforcer? Like an enforcer yeah. for what? What does what is his normal job on when they're on jobs? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I guess it is a weird it is a weird job. How do you get picked for this? There, there's nothing like this on the Lockwood team. Uh, and what? Yeah, what's the purpose of it? It just seems to be that they need a bully, I guess, to 
Bully the ghosts? Yeah, exactly. It's to, <laughs> it's to interact with other people who are not ghosts to intimidate them. It's really weird. It is very strange. Like, it's strange that they seem to think this is a job. Like, if they just had a person on their team who was a bully, great, fine, get it. This seems to fit right in with Kips. Yeah. But saying that he's an unenforced, like, what, what is happening here? I need more. Yeah, you're right. It is very weird. I'm trying to, was this person in the show? I can't remember. I don't think so. Um, If he was, he wasn't really named. I. Yeah. I don't think Which that is, he's in the graveyard at the end or anything like that. Uh, I only remember. I know that there is like Cat, Bobby Vernon, and one other person. Oh, you're right you're from right, the Kips right. team. So that's probably that's him. Okay. I mean, he has to be around because if they do another season, he has to croak. Yeah. Yeah. Spoilers. That one's actually spoilers. <laughs> yeah, this um, guy sucks. Uh. Oh yeah, he's. I wrote down a real piece of work. Yeah. He is bullying my favorite kid. From the previous chapter, the little snot, who I love. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't like it. Yeah. Oh, he's not well, bullying we... him yet. Sorry, that's a not little yet. bit later. I'm sorry. I jumped ahead. Uh, it's Saunders, who I wrote down real piece of work about here, but for calling the Nightwatch kids ungrateful little beggars. <laughs> right. Yeah. Any expense is an affront to Saunders. He's like, how dare they need money? Yeah. Oh, and he calls Lucy girly again. Gross. Yeah, he keeps doing that. That's it's real good. It's a, you got to keep in mind what a piece of garbage Saunders is too. Yeah, just say, all the grown-ups suck. I, I, oh, there's ahead. like a page of Saunders and Joplin like sniping at each other here. And there's a world where they sound very similar to George and Lucy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Just worse people. Uh, but I interrupted you. What were you going to say? There's a thing here. Like if you take the book in light of like everything that we know from the show and from reading this book before, like spoilers, I guess, is what mm -hmm. I'm saying. Uh, Saunders is talking to Joplin and says, we've had thefts before. Yes. Security on our digs is like a sieve sometimes. What's different now is all the fuss that's being made. Deprac getting upset. Agents crawling around like flies. So like there's a whole, we talked about this earlier in the book. There's this whole thing where the government was like, hey, these graves need to be verified by agents and get Deprac involved so that you can get paid. And Saunders is like, sweet, what a great new way to make money. But like now it's like getting the government involved in their whole operation. And I, I don't really remember, or I don't think it's ever really laid out to what degree the Saunders knows about Joplin or if Joplin just has a side gig and Saunders doesn't care? No, no, no. Saunders no does not know at all. He if if there was okay. money being made, he would want in. He would want it, right? Well, that's right? what like, I mean. Was he getting not, a cut? Yeah. I don't remember. No. No, he he does not know that Joplin is the thief because okay. even as he says, like he says it's a sip, like that's a hint. That's not. Yeah, this is a clue for sure. Yeah, we've had thefts before. Like that all of this is a clue. And then I, but I was like is is what he's saying coded language to Joplin to be like, hey, you know what's different right now is the government is here and like getting their nose and stuff like Deprac knows that these artifacts are going missing now, but they didn't before. Like it was we could like make insurance claims before a big deal. But like now it's like the government is here. So you're like fucking up, Joplin. You're like messing up my real <laughs> business with your side business. No, I don't think so. Because. Okay. Uh, 
he would know how much money the mirror could make them, you know, and he wouldn't be this upset. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, and then they pass Kips, who calls Lucy Julie. So just a lot of disrespect <laughs> to Lucy here. That's a good joke. I like that that keeps happening. Hopefully at this point, he knows that that's what's happening. I don't know. I would, the way that they, that Stroud writes Kips, I would believe that he genuinely thinks her name is Julie. That's funny. But I would also believe that he's genuinely just trying to rile her up. So who knows? Yeah. George makes what might be my favorite joke right there where he says, Tony, Cubbins, Julie, this is Kip saying that to them as they're right. going down the stairs. And she goes like, uh, it's Lucy. I called after him. Why did none of us trip him? George muttered. It would have been so sweet. So. Be strong, George. Lockwood <laughs> saying. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, they go into the chapel and literally Bickerstaff's dead body, which if we recall is still juicy, is just lying there, like still crumpled up half out of the coffin. Oh, what right, the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't they just they threw just burlap over it. Or something. Like, is there even a silver net over it? Because, like, the sun's going to go down eventually. I noticed that, too. I Yeah, because it says that they threw burlap over it. And I was like, and silver over that? Or is the burlap over the silver? Like, what's happening, guys? So, yeah. And then here's where Lockwood says what he thought he saw in the picture. The bundle of sticks. Mm-hmm. Which is not in the coffin now. It's totally empty. Yeah, he goes and inspects it. They think it's weird, too, that the body is, like, not in the coffin. Like, if you wanted the mirror, why not just take it? And they were like, maybe they took something else. So that's, like, the whole point of the body being out and noticing right, all these yes. details. Yeah, he says a bundle of sticks. But, yeah, then they look around for a bit, and then I was like, well, let's go outside. And this is where Ned is bullying my favorite little snot kid. Yeah, this kid's great. None of this happens in the show. I'm so upset uh, this kid didn't make it into the show. <laughs> I mean, I understand, obviously. I just, I've chosen him as my favorite, and I want him in every episode now. It's, it is like, again, it feels like something out of crime fiction. I think that to, the reason to not do this in the show is because the way that it goes just looks like Lockwood becoming a bully. Like, they get rid of one bully because... They don't want him to have the information, but then they start to bully him in a They bully him way. less, though. Yeah, it's not physical or abuse. Less, yeah, not, yeah, less physical. Um, I will say, though, when Lockwood kind of wins against Ned Shaw here, he gets to be really cool. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I do love whenever Lockwood gets to be cool. Like, so many books, and I brought this up because the show kind of takes a lot of this away. It doesn't let the protagonists have a win until the end. Mm -hmm. but they have wins all throughout and i love that it is it yeah you're right it and it is like something about stroud's writing that i think is really unique yeah and it, it constantly hits me that like this is quote-unquote wrong writing yeah exactly it's so fun and good and different that i think it's like a really cool choice and it really demonstrates who and what lockwood is i think yeah like it that he has this self-confidence and it's not misplaced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy does try to get like a whole, what you're talking about here, he tries to get like a whole sucker punch on Lockwood yeah. where he's like looking off into the distance and then turns around and like throws a haymaker and Lockwood just like leans back and pushes him and knocks him down into the other people and stuff. 
Yeah, and the way that it's described is just very smooth. Like yeah. Lockwood just leans out of the way and then gets his foot in the right place and down he goes. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's really good. And, and, and then he... George, of course, says, oh, our no provocation rule is surprisingly <laughs> flexible. Can I give him a kick too? Yeah. It's great. <laughs> it's okay when you do it, Lockwood. Yeah. To be fair, that guy swung at him. I feel like he was... Yeah, exactly. It's, it's Ned Shaw. It's allowed. Yeah. But yeah, this guy is a real meathead and Lockwood just takes care of him immediately. They try to be nice to this kid, uh, but it doesn't do any good, which I really like. Actually, the kid is like, fuck all agents. I don't like you people. <laughs> I love, yeah, I love that they saved this kid from getting beat up, but then he immediately is like asking to get beat up by them. <laughs> And then they just scare him. They don't like physically abuse him, but and then they do bribe him also, which is slightly better. But I don't know. I mean, this is again, it's like a hard boiled trope for, yeah. you know, like the private detective and the private security people like have no respect from the actual institutions. And so they're constantly getting bullied by them. And then when they try to like, the detective tries to form a relationship with the private security. They're like, I hate all you detectives. And he's like, I'm not like the other ones. He's like, I don't care. And then bribes them. And he's like, okay, I'll work with you. Cause it's like, you know, it's all seedy and gross and like gray morality and stuff like that. But this yeah. all has like a school kid being bullied veneer to it. You know, it does. Like this they're in a graveyard, but it feels like a schoolyard. Yeah. He feels like an underclassman to them and they're yeah. like, you should respect us. And he's like, why? I, you're all <laughs> assholes. I don't care. Oh, yeah. This kid's my favorite. <laughs> um, but eventually he does give them some information that is useful. And because he was watching the entryway or whatever. So he says that he didn't see anybody come in. And eventually they kind of follow a path into the bush to the wall that Joplin said nobody could climb over, or Saunders said. I don't remember. One of them said nobody could would climb over it, but since they're kids, they're like, hmm, I think somebody could climb over it, actually. They even find, like, a rope yeah, hanging like, from the tree and stuff. I enjoy this idea that Saunders or Joplin, I do not remember who said it, had never heard of ladders or right. trees. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like, and, and even Deeprack. Deeprack <laughs> also just sort of dismissed it. Like, yeah, there's a wall. I'm like, yeah, it's like impossible like to get through. Maybe somebody <laughs> anyways, okay, sure. Yeah. It is pretty weird. But yeah, they they do find I think this is good because like it shows how Lockwood uh just thinks differently. Yeah, it, and, it's good, but yeah. And they've you know, they like they operate differently than the Fitz team in like multiple different ways and it gets them results that the Fitz team just can't get. Yeah. I think that's part of what's going on here. Absolutely. And the kid is who gives them the description of the two relic men who they think took the mirror. Dwayne Nettles. Dwayne? That's how you say that, right? Mm-hmm. And um, Jack Carver. Although George thinks both names sound fake. Which is like, they probably <laughs> are fake, but not made up by the kid. Yeah. Yeah, they, that's true. I do like that, though. I like when writers do that, when they'll when they'll kind of like undermine their own thing like a character has an idea and then another character's like that's a stupid idea only a stupid yeah. person would think of that because <laughs> like the author did think of that idea 
Yeah. And like he came up with these names and then somebody in the story is like, those names sound made up and <laughs> Stroud did make them up. So. But he made up George Covens too. So. Yeah. I just like, I always like that kind of thing. And then when describing Carver, the boy, uh, he says something about his boots and he calls them like the ones skinheads wear. And I love this because it sounds so English to me. Oh. Uh, like referring to, I don't know, delinquents as skinheads. I've yeah. never heard that outside of a English children's book. Oh, that's funny. That used to be a big thing when I was a kid in the 90s. Uh, no, I know exactly like the type of people. I can picture what they're describing, but I've yeah. never heard anybody else call them skinheads. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. When I was a kid, it was all, it was all about skinheads in the oh, Chicago yeah. area where I grew up. It was like, those are the troublemaking people. And They're you use skinheads. the term skinheads? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Because we yeah. definitely had like people who would fit that description uh, in Toronto, but Nobody ever called them that. Yeah, I, yeah, I literally yeah. only read it. I don't want to say the name of the book because it's kind of racist. Uh, yeah. It's like just another English children's book that I read when I was a kid. Yeah. I think that's the only other place I've ever heard that term. Interesting. I, You know, it was so, such a part of my childhood that I didn't even notice it here. For, for you to point it out, I think you're right. It's kind of anachronistic. Uh for but that works but like for an english thing yeah 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 it's yeah it feels very 90s but that's what that's the sort of feel that these books give off the 80s yep. 90s yeah i guess that just i guess it's just canada that didn't have that term america england yep canada mm. or maybe i was just a bit too young for it who knows i uh, yeah i don't it might have been where i lived too i mean the two big dangers in life were skinheads and dungeons and dragons i mean those were the two greatest evils <laughs> that our society knew at that time so oh, well I, I i do play dungeons and dragons but i have never shaved my head <laughs> so you only need to be a little scared of me yeah i do have a buzz cut all that i've had a buzz cut for like 20 years so i've been called a skinhead before interesting i've yeah. never been called that i have <laughs> very bushy curly hair I'm just saying we have it covered here. We have Dungeons and Dragons and Skidhead. So like we're very That's dangerous. That's the new name of the podcast. <laughs> Anyways, they find Dwayne Nettles dead. So obviously this is where they went. But also it doesn't look like anything killed him. It looks like he just died of fright. Yeah, I find that terrifying. I was yeah, like, that is absolutely. My last note here is just the word terrifying. Yeah. I couldn't remember how this went down. If, if he was like his throat got cut or he was stabbed in the back or something. They were like, nope. Looks like he screamed to death. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, Terrible. it's especially since it was after dawn, like we've talked about, and the mirror is still affecting people that much. And there's a good, like, I think of this as like a CSI reveal, you know, like at the beginning of all those crime shows, there's like, they find a dead body and that's how yep. it kicks things off. And it's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> George absolutely like slipped on his sunglasses when he said that and turned to the camera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because it's like they didn't they didn't both climb the tree and they're like, how do you know that? And he's like, one of them's still here. And then yeah, like so good. George steps aside and there's the body. And Lucy takes the time to like describe the guy's mustache as a it's in in our version it says peach fuzz mustache, but she mm -hmm. in the audiobook she says bum fluff mustache. 
Oh, interesting. Why do why did you change that? Because that's really good. (laughs) (laughs) I can only assume that they thought that would make children reading that laugh a lot at a serious moment. (laughs) Or they would go to a teacher and be like, teacher, what is bum fluff? (laughs) They were like, we just don't want this. All right. Chapter 11. Lockwood consults his relic woman friend Flo Bones, but she wants a favor before she reveals anything. And the chapter art is indeed Flo Bones. Oh, okay, okay. I think uh, I, when I saw this at first, I was like, is it a train coming around a corner? Oh, uh, you know, I, I thought maybe at one point it was one of like the, the boat that she lives on and that was a yeah. light in the boat. I definitely had to focus and be like, no, that's a hunched over person with a lamp. But you had to kind of like, like Driving one of those eye bag. sight yeah. puzzles, you know, you had to get the right <laughs> yeah. angle for it. <laughs> Unfocus your eyes a little bit. Yeah. The chapter art is a choice, like the way that they've. Um, it, it's not it's bad, com- I want to say. Like, we're, n- we're not making fun of it. It's just hard to do a silhouette shadow thing when it's all black and white and blurry. Yeah. It's it, just hard. The, and, and I can only imagine that the blurriness is intentional. I think we've talked about yeah. this before. So it's just a weird choice that they've made to make it black and white, make it blurry and make it like not very detailed. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Anyways, it's flow. And then, yeah, yeah, we get the beginning of the chapter is kind of like, what is a relic man? Right. How did they happen? I like this stuff. So this is more world building. I mean, no, yeah, no surprise here that I like the world building stuff. But yeah, there's a lot of like, we jump from, oh, there's a dead body and everything. And then it goes like 50 years of the problem have led to many changes in our society. And yeah. I was like, oh, tell me more about this. Yes, Lucy. <laughs> I I um, locked on to Jacob's talk, teaching Lucy about Relic Men as being the people only in it for money and blah, blah, blah. blah. I'm like, right, Jacobs, because you're not in it for the money. <laughs> right. I love the civic good. Yeah. Unlike other people. And like fits and even Lockwood to an extent, because like maybe if he's not quite in it for like the physical cash, he is kind of in it for the glory a little bit. Oh, yeah. 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 He's not in it to save people. I don't think. Well, he likes the fame that comes with that, you know, like the the fame. Yeah. And he does like part of his motivation is he just wants to kill all the ghosts. But I think that's more revenge. Yeah. 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 He's. I don't know. I wouldn't trust anybody, though, who was like, I'm in it for the public good. Like, that would be weird. But it's, well, it yeah. can be both. Like, that's the thing about living in a capitalist society. You need the money, but you can also want to do good. I just yeah. don't believe that of um, Jacobs in particular. Yeah. He talks about a thing here that is um, feels pretty authentic to me. Like I was saying earlier, Stroud thinks about his world building on like the yeah. big level, not just the character level, which is something that really sets these books apart. I think it, he talks about in the past, a public frenzy took over for a while. Any object even dimly supposed to have some kind of psychic residue was treated with terror and disgust as people like figured out what was a source, what wasn't. And it talks about like people throwing out heirlooms or like <laughs> it talks about like a vicar walking on a painting because he thought it was looking at him weird and stuff like that. And I was just like, man, that's so real. That just feels mm-hmm. like, remember when COVID started and it was like people were wiping down their Amazon packages on their porch and stuff like that. Uh, yep. It's just people don't know what to do to stay safe. And so 
they take it so too they try far. anything yeah yeah it's just really good world it just feels very very real it does yeah and it's nice to have that amount of depth in a children's novel yeah it just it does give it it makes the stakes feel real yeah it's good for the drama of the story you'd like every situation you're like oh this could where is it going but yeah we get a lot of like because of all that stuff and all the uncertainty around it and what were sources, this is like where relic men come from. And actually rich people stopped throwing their antiques out and burning them and like started collecting spooky yep. stuff and showing it off to other rich people. Didn't take long. Mm -hmm. There's also like you're talking about protect society versus exploit society. And that again is another hard boiled fiction thing mm -hmm. where the police mm -hmm. are like, we're the moral authority, but actually they're like the dirtiest people in the world. And the independent cop seems like the dirty one, but they're the only one fighting for truth and justice. But they're just trying to make a buck and survive at the same time. So like all that is the same in this world. Yep. It's tough out there on the ghost streets. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also like after all that, when Barnes gets to the dead body in there and he kicks Kips out, which is great. Um, Lucy has this bit where she describes the borrowed time, you know, those extra hours of sunlight that they only get in midsummer. Yeah. And I really love this description because we do it anyways in the real world, you know, yeah. like during the summer, during those extra hours, everybody's out longer. Everybody's doing more things. So many people I know go out so much more because it's easier because the sun's still out and it's warm and it's up pouring rain because mm -hmm. it's always pouring. I live in Vancouver. It's always raining. Um, right. So just all those things. And it's the exact same feelings, except it's danger and ghosts, not rain and gloom. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I think you're right about that. It is. There's like a manic energy to like people will go on a walk and do that kind of like really fast power walking and then like we still have time to eat outside at the cafe and we still have time to go window shopping and yeah it's like they're cramming in as much stuff as you possibly can before the sun goes down well like right now i i finish work at four and it's already dark so i'm like well i'll just <laughs> do some chocolate <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's really really good world building though it is and it's also like there was another instance, I think, in, in the previous book where Lucy was describing something, or maybe it was the graveyard earlier, I don't even remember, um, was describing how things feel because of the problem. And I'm like, no, 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 that's just human nature. Yeah, yeah. That's like a good, ironic world building thing where like yeah, things it, are like this because of this. And it's like, nah, they're, that's just how it is. That's just humans. But we get uh, Lockwood saying, we're going to go see a contact of mine. Someone mm -hmm. who might find us, help us find our missing man. Who is he? A policeman? Another agent? No, a relic man. Well, a relic woman, really. Flow bones. I, directly after that, there's a paragraph where Lucy starts, like, thinking, like, what the fuck is up with Lockwood? All this secretive, blah, 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 blah. And then she almost kind of thinks, like, oh, but that's what the skull said. And I didn't believe that for a moment. And so, you, A, you continue to see the skull in her head. Yeah. Like making, having an influence, which I like. And also I like this because it, because her initial dislike of flow bones is just another instance of Lucy disliking a woman for little to no reason. But I like the idea that maybe it stems from the doubts that Skull has put in her head about mm. Lockwood and not necessarily about 
Lucy just hating all women. And she's also been trained to hate these the, relic, yeah, relic people. people. Too. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd think she could set aside Jacob's teaching that guy was an ass. But I whatever. Know, right. She seems to hate him a little bit less in the book than she does in the show. Yeah. Well, the his the thing her whole thing was kind of downplayed in the book. Or yeah. or upplayed in the show, I guess. Or both. I don't know. The note that I made about that where she's like um feeling her doubts about Lockwood mm-hmm. and stuff and feeling like the skull thing is an influence is like also I feel like it's part of growing up to be like, oh, all these judgments that I've been making about like this person good, this person bad. It's like a little bit more complicated than that. And like mm-hmm. your judgments are also covering up certain like insecurities you're that you're not ready to face and stuff. Like Lockwood is good so good in Lucy's mind because like that's what she needs him to be and it's not like what he really is and the more she's like coming into contact with that she's uncomfortable about it right so that's that's pretty good writing too I think and then they go and meet Flo oh Lucy does try to get more information about her and Lockwood's past out of Lockwood uh but Lockwood gives her bare minimum (laughs) yeah typical Lockwood, I have a past, but don't worry about it. Um, and then we get, uh, I assume they're going down to the Thames, right? It doesn't say it, specifically. It doesn't say, but it must but, be, right? Yeah, I, I assume that if you knew things like the Southwark Bridge and things like that, you'd be like, obviously oh, that's yeah, what yes, it yes, is. Yes, like, I don't know what that stuff is, though. Um, but I just like how they describe a tidal river, which is something that we deal with here. So you mean like the river has a tide to it? It like comes high and goes low? Uh, well, the ocean does and the river lets out into the ocean. So it's, and it's close enough that it affects the river. Yeah. I don't think I've ever lived anywhere that has that effect. I did live on the Great Lakes for a lot of my childhood, but they don't really have tidal motion. They're huge, but they're not, mm-hmm. I don't think they're big enough for that. So I'd, I'm not familiar with it. No, uh, the river that the big river that I live near, like it can go way out. The it's intense. The different levels that the river has, but huh. it's all because of the Pacific Ocean. So she's like, so this is interesting. So I didn't understand this factor. So that's why she's like in the mud and stuff because it's yeah. like low tide. Yeah, low tide. And this is a good time for her to like find stuff that's in the river that might be valuable. Yep. And if it's summer, the river's probably lower, anyways. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. So that all kind of adds up. Yeah. Yeah. So she's probably getting to spots that were under the water that normally she would not be able to get to, which is why she's still finding stuff. And also, like, because of River's movement, I'm sure stuff is getting moved around all the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny, too, because, like, because the running water is one of the things that inhibits the sources, this is, like, some dangerous work, too. Um, to have them uncovered and be going about and poking into them. And she has to work at night because of the, presumably because of it's being illegal. Yep. Yep. And she's alone. Yeah. Like her work is very dangerous. Lucy doesn't take it very seriously, which is kind of what goes on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but Flo is like. I think she takes it seriously, but in a way that she doesn't care if like people die. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think she just like, <laughs> she. She just like, I don't know, Flo's uh, dignity gets 
stung here and she's like oh you think it's easy do you well i'll you know like we'll get into that the next time we record but i i feel like she kind of sets them up oh absolutely yeah lucy realize that like it's not what you think it is I do. Okay. Before we get too far, I do love the description that we get of flow from a distance, especially the, this creature seemed more like a giant snail from the bottom of the Thames than a fellow human being. Yeah. I love that. That's so good. I think, yeah, I love it too. And there's a lot of language before and after that, that's like extremely evocative of this whole place. Like things kind of change here from, we've been really dialogue heavy and the characters sniping at each other and, and Stroud shifts gears in this chapter to be a little bit more expressive in his language and stuff. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, in other instances where Lucy has not liked women, it's it's always keyed off by some kind of like they're hyper competent or they're beautiful. And like flow is not described that way. And I feel like it's a little bit different because she's like, for one thing, she's like digging in the mud and stuff. So like she's just covered in muck uh, mm-hmm. and dirt and stuff. And she also seems to like have some kind of mental illness or something like the way that Lockwood is like, oh, it's a good day when she's like extremely uh, threatening to them and stuff like that. So like, I don't know, like Lucy's reaction to Flo seems more normal of like, this is an off-putting person that I don't like. Because flow is like odd uh, in so many ways, as opposed to like cat is beautiful and I, that's why I don't like her and poised. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she's a listener. And even though she's not as good as Lucy, she's still somehow better, you know? Right. Which yeah. Which is terrible. Yeah. I'm not saying that cat is, but I'm saying Lucy thinks that. She thinks that. Yeah. Um, so then, uh, Lockwood tries to bribe Flo with licorice. Yeah. I do love the line where she's like, are you trying to bribe me? Bring money. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but then she's like, but what kind of licorice? Yeah. Yeah. She's into it. <laughs> and then on the next page, we have this bit where, and maybe we've talked about this before. I do not know. But Lucy mentions that it looks like Flo has... A sword, which is illegal for a non-agent, which is, that sounds stupid. Like, Mm. why wouldn't anybody have a sword? What? Like, maybe you have to get a license or something, but why wouldn't you want more people with swords, even if they're not agents? Why? Like, I feel like getting rid of ghosts is good and having somebody be able there to defend people in a pinch is good. Why wouldn't like a dad be able to have a sword or, well, I guess a kid be able to protect his family or whatever even if he didn't want to be an agent mm-hmm. yeah i wonder why there isn't like a. I could see it you have to like go through a licensing process yeah. or something like you that have to show fun. that you're not going to stab people yeah that's a good point Only ghosts. it kind of makes sense for the way that they talk about agents sometimes how they're like a different caliber in society and stuff like that so it, I don't know. And there's a long tradition in Europe of like regular people don't get to own weapons and everybody thinks that that's normal. No, but in I get North that America, from, we're like, that's weird. <laughs> I get that from like a uh, wanting to set up these characters as being part of this elite team. Like that makes sense. But from like an actual world building perspective, I think it's silly. Everybody should have a sword. You get born, you get your first sword. Move on. <laughs> you Go know? fight a ghost. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Lockwood does tell her, tells Lucy to stay out of stabbing distance <laughs> when, when Flo's coming over. I like that. I think that's like good advice for meeting anybody, actually. <laughs> um, I do love that when Lockwood and, and Flo are talking, she's like, well, you haven't changed. Still as Lottie does ever. Mm -hmm. I love that description of him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how long it's been since they've seen each other, but uh, it feels like it's been a little bit of time. That Like yeah. they haven't seen each other in more than a year, I would say. It, well, at least since Lucy's been working there, and we definitely established the timeline at the beginning of the book. Do I remember? No. <laughs> she talked about it being 12 months, so. Right, yes, yes, okay. So not in a year, because Lucy's never heard of her. Although I guess Lockwood could go off and chat with her anytime. Yeah. It is funny that the flow is like, oh, you're a posh person. And she's like, I'm working class. What are you talking about? Yeah. So like she can't tell posh. from the accents. That's interesting to me that she can't read accents unless she's like deliberately doing that. I think it's deliberate. Yeah. Okay. But, but also like, I think anybody who chooses to remain in the system would be a posh one to flow. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, does she just categorize everybody who's not at her class level as like, I get that if that's what it is to be like, oh, you're all you all think you're a cut above me. Yes, uh, exactly. Yeah. But also she definitely thinks she has the higher ground. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. I'm mixing that in with show flow a little bit. Show flow. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it's great. I do also think this exchange was just a way to work in Lucy's accent. Mm -hmm. Like just yeah. just to um, say clearly for people who don't listen to the audiobook or whatever that Lucy has this northern accent. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Or to say it to people who are reading this as their first book too. Yeah, to be like, oh yeah, okay, that's where she's from. There's a part here that I highlighted where the language was changed again, where Flo is saying there's a code of silence, um, and it says we can't rat on each other, and then in the in the original British, it says we can't peach on each other. And it's oh, just another one of those, like, why would you change it? Like, you could figure out what that means. Yeah, that's very context driven, even if it's a term that we don't use here. But there are fewer of those changes overall than there was in the first book. But just every once in a while, they'll do one. And I'm like, I don't that that makes Flo sound so interesting when she's like, we don't peach on each other. That feels like a class thing. Yeah. On top of like slang to where you say rat on each other. I don't know. That just feels yeah, like very vanilla. That, uh, we've talked about this before, but that is the thing about how if you leave the English wording for a North American audience, it just feels like world building. Yeah. Well, so it's and, interesting that they changed so much of it. And right after that, it's talked about like, we're happy to sell each other's grandmother for a sixpence. And like sixpence is not a... Like, you don't know what that is if you're an American kid, but you can like figure it out from yeah. sell each other. Um, so they kept that. That's just, it's just weird. The, what different no, things they change. Yeah. It is very, very strange. Anyway, I'm not really complaining about it. It's just, it's always interesting to me. No. Yeah. I'm not complaining. I'm just like, it's a big question mark. Yeah. I do love when Lockwood is like, but Flo, I gave you licorice whirls. <laughs> She's like, it's not enough. <laughs> and I like that Lucy very quickly figures out that, A, she is scared, that, that Flo is scared of getting, of drawing these people's attention to her, but also that saying she's scared is 
what's going to get her to say something. Yeah, I think I I guess this is what I was talking about before that she says that she's scared. And I yeah, so I'm just interpreting this as being like Flo's dignity is is hurt by this. And she's like she wants to set them up in a situation where Lucy will be scared is where this ends up going. Yes, Um, which I actually really love these two's first meeting because as we find out much later in the series, they actually have a lot in common Mm -hmm. and have just had two very different reactions to it. And, And hear them trying to prove that, you know, I'm the one who's seen more than you is just great because they've kind of had because they've had very similar lives, you know, and they've all seen shit. Yep. And Flo doesn't have the benefit of like Lucy's incredible talent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's like made really hard choices with her life. She's a great character. Yeah. I love Flo. I love all of them really. Yeah. The main five people. Although I have, I have problems with Holly, but we'll get there. (laughs) And due to fan art, I have to assume that somewhere in here, they mention that Flo is white. But uh, since the show, I picture her as the actress in the show. Like she just encapsulated her so perfectly. Yeah, I think book flow is blonde haired and blue eyed, although it's like she's so dirty that like event like later she gets washed up and Lucy's like, this is like an insult from Lucy. She's like, oh, didn't realize you had blonde hair. That kind of I'm also uh, I am terrible at like, I don't know if I skip over physical descriptions or if I just don't take them in. And then I just picture a character however I want. Me too. No, I do so, that. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, yeah. she just is the actress now from the show. Yeah, totally. She was She's so good. so, so good. Uh, so there's another, there's more hard-boiled tropes with, with uh, mm-hmm. you know, Flo, of course. This is like a classic criminal character who's like, you know, friends with the detective and has an addiction that the detective can exploit, which is licorice in this case. Very funny. <laughs> But it's also like world building, you know, in this case, because it kind of erodes the notion that like doing illegal things is like an easier way to live your life. Like this is a really hard thing that Flo does. Mm -hmm. And it's like equally as dangerous as any of the source finding that Lockwood and co are doing. So like and there's a lot of like class stuff here, too, because Flo's doing it by herself. And like, I don't know, like there's that's like a hard boiled detective thing is like a lot of the criminals are only criminals because of like the way the world works you know what i mean and not because they're like bad or lazy people and the detective could just as easily be one of those people and you know if the world shook out a little bit different so like this all kind of fits here too um but then through the teasing of flow flow basically says fine i will give you more information if you help me do a thing yep and that's kind of where the chapter ends and yep. where our episode is going to end. Yep, we'll do three more chapters next time and wrap up part three. I do like, just before we go, I do like that Lucy is the one complaining about how dirty Flo is when they are get a little bit away from her. Because usually it's Lockwood complaining about that type of thing. <laughs> but Lucy's the one who's like, ugh. So it's like well, Lockwood's kind of rubbed off on her. Like Lockwood agrees with her, but he's not complaining about it, you know? He does say like, like Lucy's like, hey, I can feel like there's ghost stuff happening all of a sudden. Oh, yes. And, like, at the end there, yeah. Do you smell the miasma? And he's like, oh, I just thought that was flow. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, no, it's visitors. 
Which is a great place to end it. Yeah. Did you have a best joke? Yeah. It was the one I said earlier. Um, oh, the one, yeah, the one where George is like, we should trip him down. That would be sweet if we tripped him down the stairs. Mine is <laughs> also like... George. Um, I like his Ned Shaw joke, though. <laughs> because, like, Ned's not even there, but he still has to get one in. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. I I, I very much, uh, uh, what's the word? Oh, my God, the word has left me. I identify with George there. Because I too, if one, if a joke about somebody had occurred to me and they weren't even there, I'd still be like, no, nah, I got to say it. It's so good. <laughs> George is very filter off in these chapters where yeah. he's like, I'm tired and I don't care anymore. Yeah, I love it. And I've decided that my most punk rock um, is, you know, you're a kid. Somebody saves you from getting beat up and then you do everything in your power to get that guy to beat you up. <laughs> That kid is pretty punk rock. Yeah, he's so great. <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Just every word right. out of his mouth. Yeah, he doesn't even, they're like, oh, your friend got beat up by when they came and, uh, and stole the stuff. He's like, that kid's not my friend. I fucking hate that guy. I don't care yeah. about him. <laughs> it's like, he's just a pissed off little dude. He's like, I don't I, care. You know, I'm pissed <laughs> off too a lot of the time, so... And I've, I I have to imagine that, you know, he tried to be an agent. It didn't work out. So now he just hates everyone. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. He is very punk rock. I think that's totally right. I and also I'm fairly certain that the chapter did give us his name, but I refuse it. No, he's just this not this not kid. <laughs> I don't know if we get his name. We get the other kid's name who got beat up and he's like, oh, I don't maybe like that that's, guy. Maybe that's what I was thinking. There, we get a name, Terry, somebody or other. Okay. But I, maybe that is the one who got hit over the head. Nice. No, I'm going to agree with you. I didn't really, I didn't really have a good one. I was like George back talking Barnes the whole time as soon as they get there. But I think that kid is the most punk rock character in the book. Maybe he's just like, I hate everyone. I mean, Flo is very anti-establishment also, but mm -hmm. we've talked about Flo in the show a lot and how punk rock she is. So I went with the kid. Yeah, that's good. Before we go, I did just want to say that we got a contact, an email, a thing, this from Pilipa, I think. Mm -hmm. I hope I, I said got. that right. Anyways, so we just wanted to thank you for your very nice message. Uh, she said, just a note of appreciation. I discovered Lockwood & Co. late, as in just a couple of months ago. Couldn't find any fellow fans to discuss episodes spoiler-free until uh, I found your podcast. And as an older person and parent, I appreciate your mature take on things, which is wild to say about us. Hmm. <laughs> I don't think there's any maturity here, but okay. <laughs> um, motivated by a desire to keep listening, I've started reading the books along with you and am thoroughly enjoying it. And I just want to say thank you. And I'm glad we could inspire you to read the books because they are very good. And also you will definitely get an ending, unlike some Netflix things. Oh, yeah. Questions get answered. I don't know if all the questions get answered. I haven't read all the books, but I feel like Stroud is loves to have a few mysteries out there, no matter what. But... That's actually you'll get an more closure point. than the the Netflix for sure. Yeah, like questions are answered, but I also still have questions. You know, that's good because I have finished. Anyway, so just thanks for reaching out and thanks for listening. And um, if anybody out there wants to reach out, you can do so on Twitter at Lockwood Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Inferior Caitlin. Or if you want to send an email like that, you can send them to contact at Hollowed Ground Media. Or you can go to our website, which is what she did, and scroll down to the contact page, 
hallowedgroundmedia.com slash contact. And remember to always demand enough licorice for the job that you're doing. <laughs>